Hey y'all, this is May, and I want to welcome you to Crimes of a Decade, a Texas true crime podcast. This season, I'll be discussing murders from the year 2000 through 2009. Today's story is of a male murderer from 2005. So grab you some Whataburger and open that Dr. Pepper. Let's go back in time to the year 2005. In 2005, YouTube was founded. That same year, Hurricane Katrina flooded 80% of New Orleans, claiming the lives of over 1,600 people. Another thing that happened in 2005 was a man who couldn't accept his wife was going to leave him. Please join me in walking down Erie Lane. December 25th is a happy and joyous time for most people. But Christmas of 2004 was especially joyous for one woman named Tammy Gardner, whom had decided to give herself a gift, the gift of divorce to her abusive husband, John. She filed for divorce in December and asked John to move out on Christmas Day. So his parents came from Mississippi to retrieve him, his belongings, and took him home with them. The divorce would be finalized on February 7, 2005. Tammy was so excited, she wrote it on the calendar at her work. Action Company, a wholesale horse equipment company. This company was the one who actually gave her the money needed to file the divorce. Tammy was so excited for February 7th, but confided in some friends that she believed she would never make it out of this marriage alive. John and Tammy Gardner married in 1999. Tammy had two children from a previous relationship, and Tammy was to become John's fifth wife. Before their marriage, Tammy was very outgoing and happy, but after they got married, friends and family started to see some changes in her appearance, such as losing weight, becoming introverted, and losing her sparkle. Tammy had even gotten John's name tattooed on her inner thigh. John had been harassing Tammy constantly since she filed for divorce, and her friend Jackie West witnessed this firsthand. While having lunch with Tammy on January 20th, Jackie stated that Tammy's phone rang constantly during their meal, and Tammy looked at her and said, He's going to kill me before the divorce can be finalized. Then on the morning of January 23rd, Tammy was driving her daughter, Jessie, home from church when she kept getting text messages sent repeatedly from John, asking if she intended to go through with the divorce, and also texting, yes or no. Jessie was the one who was relaying the text to her mom. She stated her mom looked frantic, but that they did not reply to any of the messages. The evening of January 23rd, Tammy called David Young, he was the vice president of the company she worked for. She asked to go over to his house to talk. She was there from 7 to 10 p.m. discussing how she could disappear and was seeking his help in doing so. 
She called David when she got home, and they talked until about 11.13 p.m. At 11.58 p.m., a 911 call was placed from Tammy's residence. 911, what's your emergency? My, my name is Tammy. I, I've been shot. My head hurts. There's, there's blood everywhere. Though her speech was very slurred, and it sounded like she was choking and vomiting, she was able to explain that the attacker left in a white pickup truck with Mississippi plates and was able to identify him as Stephen Gardner. She also gave her address, but then the line became disconnected. It unfortunately took the paramedics and police 25 minutes to get to her house as they were off by one number, going to 3191 instead of 9191, 1.2 miles away from each other. They found Tammy on the bed with a trail of blood leading into the bathroom. She was trying to sit up, trying to speak, but was mumbling incoherently, spitting up a lot of blood. And she was bleeding badly from her head and seemed to be in shock. She was airlifted to Parkland Hospital in Dallas, where she went into a coma, and her family decided to take her off of life support on January 25th, 2005. Ten hours is about how long it takes for someone to drive from Mississippi to Texas, which is what John Gardner did on January 23rd. He borrowed his brother-in-law's white F-150 pickup truck, saying he was going to go visit friends in a neighboring town. Instead, he drove to Anna, Texas, confirmed by two credit card purchases that day at a convenience store in Marshall, Texas which is on the way from Mississippi to Collin County. He bought gas and a pair of Brahma work gloves, which were later found in the white F-150 pickup, and then made his way to the house he had once shared with Tammy. He walked in the house up to her bedroom, where she was sitting up in bed, and shot her once in the head. He then drove back to his sister's house to return the truck he borrowed. While on the road, John got a call from Detective Cundiff, but after answering, he hung up. He got back to Mississippi around 8.30 a.m. His sister Elaine had heard about Tammy's accident and asked John, What happened? But John said nothing, yet he did start crying. Is Tammy okay? Yes. You need to turn yourself in to the police. Okay. He then went inside, took a shower, stopped by his parents' house, and then headed to the sheriff's office in Mississippi. At this time, there was no warrant out for John Gardner's arrest, but he did agree to speak to Detective Cundiff on the phone. This was their exchange. Detective, we know you had just been in Texas and want to find out what happened to Tammy. John, I don't have an answer for that one. Detective, Tammy was shot in the head. John, okay. Detective, Tammy is still alive and can tell us what happened. John, if she wants, that'll be fine. They got off the phone and John was able to go back home. He was then arrested on January 25th, the same day 
Tammy was taken off life support. Tammy Gardner was John's fifth wife, but she wasn't the first wife he abused and assaulted. In September 1982, 18-year-old Rhoda Gardner got married to John, but later they became estranged. At 8 a.m. on December 13th of that year, she was shot multiple times while walking in a parking lot in Mississippi. She was transferred to Forest General Hospital later that morning and was in stable but serious condition. The shooting rendered her paraplegic and caused her to miscarry her month-old unborn baby. John turned himself in the next day and police charged him with aggravated assault. He was held at Jones County Jail and had a bond set for 50000 Rhoda later died of complications on February 1st, 1983. Gardner was not charged with murder because the evidence in the case was insufficient. An autopsy was performed, but they could not confirm any specific cause of death. Let me repeat that. Gardner was not charged with murder because the evidence in the case was insufficient. An autopsy was performed, but they could not confirm any specific cause of death. He pleaded guilty to aggravated assault and was sentenced to prison for eight years in May of 1983. Margaret Westmerland knew John and Rhoda before her murder. So when John went to jail, she decided to write him letters and they started corresponding. They ended up starting a relationship, and Margaret actually forged a marriage certificate so she could have conjugal visits as he served out his sentence. John was released on parole after two years in prison. Him and Margaret got married and moved in together. She had two children from a previous relationship, Becky 13 and Tim 6, who moved in with them also. John was really sweet but after they got married, his behavior took a chilling, violent turn, threatening her and her children. He also sexually propositioned Becky, acting at times very boyfriendish towards her when her mother wasn't around. Becky stated, he wanted to put on makeup for me and rub my shoulders, and that he once told me if I agreed to have sex with the devil, he would give me special powers, referring to himself as the devil. Becky also stated, John had even talked to her about Rhoda and described how he killed her by hiding behind an apartment stairwell and surprising her, like he was proud of himself, like it was funny. But Margaret didn't call it quits until April 14, 1987. On that day, Becky was home alone with John when she got a call from her mom telling her she would be home late from work that evening. Then John punched her in the head three times, causing massive bleeding. She ran into the bathroom and was there when Margaret came home and found her daughter bleeding profusely. Becky yelled at John, asking why he did that to her. And Margaret turned to her husband, asking what happened. But he denied everything and even asked Becky what happened to her. At the hospital, she received 78 stitches in her head and had injuries to her fingers as she had tried to defend herself during the assault. Then... A little while later, John came to Margaret's work, kidnapped her at knife point, 
and led the police on a high-speed car chase. He was then arrested and had his parole revoked. John was then released from prison in 1995 and married a woman named Sandra. They had a son together, but divorced in June of 1999 so he could marry Tammy. In August of 2001, Sandra got a protective order against John, so this made Tammy his fifth wife and the fourth one who would suffer at the hands of John Gardner. I would like to introduce you to an amazing online clothing store, The Well Clothing Boutique. Shop at thewellclothing.com for effortless and on-trend pieces to add to your closet. Plus, there's always free shipping. They carry sizes from small to 2XL, and you can also find your favorite piece of jewelry at The Well to jazz up your outfit. Check out their Instagram at The Well Clothing. John Gardner's capital murder trial started in November 2006. The prosecution pushed for the capital murder charge because that would make John eligible for the death penalty. There are nine different kinds of homicide that qualify as capital murder in Texas. One of those nine, the state argued, was that John intentionally committed the murder during the commission or attempted commission of a robbery by entering Tammy's house without her permission. During the course of the trial, there was three days of testimony, 19 witnesses, and more than 60 pieces of evidence presented. And during testimony, person after person spoke how they saw the abuse and how Tammy feared for her life. One testimony was from Joy Flavel, who explained Tammy came to see her husband, a neurologist, but she ended up confiding in Joy, who worked as the office manager. She went to see Dr. Flavel as she was suffering from several symptoms, including migraines, sleeplessness, anxiety, and depression. Also, that she had suffered from left peripheral vision. When asked, she told the doctor she sustained some injuries after falling off a horse and after three car accidents. But as she prepared to leave, Tammy told Joy, Mr. Gardner caused the injuries. Crying, Tammy told her how her husband beat her with a gun, pulled her hair, and hit her head against a wall and smacked her in the head. Joy Flavel was a former contract therapist who worked for New Mexico Health and Human Services and Child Protective Services and runs her own domestic abuse counseling practice in McKinney. She suggested that Tammy contact a battered woman's shelter and the police for help but Tammy said she couldn't leave because no one would be there to protect the children, as her husband not only threatened to kill her, but her son as well. Tammy also told her that John would have sex with her while holding a gun, and that he would sometimes threaten her with the gun if she didn't want to have sex. Joy said she did not call the police herself or take Tammy to a battered woman's shelter because she said she did not have the legal authority to do either. She also said Tammy did not feel comfortable telling Dr. Flavel the true nature of her injuries, which is why it was not detailed in the neurological evaluation report. During cross-examination, Joy equated taking someone to a shelter against his or her will 
as kidnapping. Defense argued there was no forensic evidence connecting Gardner to the crime. The only forensic evidence that could possibly be linked was some red fibers found in the F-150 truck, which shared the same characteristics to the robe Tammy was wearing the night she was shot. The jury of five women and seven men found John Gardner guilty of capital murder. During the sentencing phase is when the jury got to hear about Rhoda Gardner's death, and they sentenced him to death in November 2006. John Gardner appealed his case, but all appeals were denied. But some interesting legal strategies were presented in the Court of Appeals that I would like to go into for a second. John's new lawyer stated that his trial lawyers should have used the strategy of abandonment rage. Taken from an article in the Austin Chronicle, psychologists first proposed this condition in 1999. Their theory says, men threatened with abandonment kill their intimate partners with excessive force when they experience violence and shame at a young age and have a weak connection to their parents. This clearly describes Gardner. He's the son of a traveling Baptist preacher who abused his wife and beat his children at least once a week, often with little provocation. The Texas Council on Family Violence estimated that in 2016, in cases where there was enough data to make a determination, 62% of intimate partner murders happened within two weeks of an attempt to end the relationship. Another point John's appeal lawyers brought forward was hearing the 911 call and the operator's testimony in court. They argued that this was hearsay, but the state argued that Tammy's 911 call was a dying declaration, which makes it an exception to the hearsay rule. A dying declaration is a statement made by a person who is at the point of death, but conscious. The dying person's statement makes a connection between the individual who harmed them and the injuries suffered, which is exactly what Tammy did by telling the dispatcher that it was John Gardner who shot her. Since John Gardner had all his appeals denied, his execution date was set. He would be put to death on January 15, 2020, which would make him the first person on death row to be executed in 2020 in all of the United States. There have been six executions total that have been carried out in 2020 so far, two from Texas and one from each of these states, Georgia, Tennessee, Alabama, and Missouri. John Gardner's execution began at 6 o'clock p.m. January 15, 2020. There were two viewing rooms, one for the victim's family and the other for friends and family of the inmate. In the viewing room for the victim was Tammy's son, daughter, and mother. This is what John said in his final statement to them. I would like to say sorry for your grief. I hope what I'm doing today will give you peace, joy, closure, whatever it takes to forgive. I am sorry. I know you cannot forgive me, but I hope one day you will. He then directed his words to his friends. He told them he loved them, then said he was going to ask the warden to go forward with the punishment because 
I want to see the Lord Jesus so bad. He added that he would ask Jesus to help them forgive me one day, please. Gardner apologized one more time and then concluded with, I love you. Thank you, warden. The lethal injection was then administered at 6 o'clock p.m. and John Gardner was pronounced dead at 6.36 p.m. I want to say a huge thank you to Newspaper Archives, the Texas Tribune, Star Local Media, and all the other great resources that helped me get all the information for this episode. I'll put a link to their work in the show notes. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Crimes of a Decade, a Texas true crime podcast. Please join me next week when we discuss a female murderer from the year 2006. If you're enjoying this podcast, I would love for you to hit the subscribe button. I would also love for you to rate and review my podcast on your favorite podcasting app, as it really does help out. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email me at crimesofadecade at gmail.com. You can also find me on Instagram at crimesofadecadepod and on Twitter at crimesofadecade. Decade.